1: Hello and welcome to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. I think we're also on Facebook and Twitter. We'll see how all that goes. So glad to be here again. Um, I got to say right off the top that the views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of our wonderful radio station where we're broadcasting or CHD. You know, this is going to be conversation that's uncensored, um, although we'll watch, watch our language um just goes where it needs to go and you know we've got a great theme here today really about um the law as it applies really in many many households we're talking about family law uh, family court vaccination law we're going to kind of cover a whole bunch of uh issues in that realm um, and with that, i'm going to go ahead and bring on my host it's It's great ladies today. We have got uh, Tanya Goodman um, coming joining us um, she's a an autism mom she's got a beautiful uh, son with autism and um, also has a lot of experience unfortunately, but fortunately she's sharing it with us in family court um over medical decisions and the vaccine question in particular and also joining us this uh for both hours we've got attorney patty finn my dear friend patty hi patty (laughs) oh yeah i think you're muted there you go hi hi it's been a long time yeah patty and i for the early days of covid Um, You were a guest on my show and I was a guest on your radio show in New York. And then, you know, life happened. You got extremely busy and everything. And then so it's been a little while since we've been in touch and it's just so good to see you. Yes, it's good to see you. I miss you terribly. Yeah, yeah, me too. So it's it's great to have these these two very strong, intelligent women here with me today. You know, before we get into the topic at hand, I want to make sure everybody here knows what tomorrow is do you know what tomorrow is patty no no okay (laughs) (laughs) i already told tanya so it's no fair asking her but tomorrow is world ivermectin day isn't that cool there did you even know there was such a thing as no i didn't yeah i i really wanted to um let me come back to uh, share with you some great video on this page, but the video sound doesn't seem to be working on the website right now. I'm going to see if I can go back. Um, but I encourage people to go check out it's just worldivermectinday.org. and you can find out information, all the science on ivermectin. And ivermectin is a fabulous, semi natural drug that won the, uh, no, this, its inventors, dec- won the Nobel Prize for saving so many lives. It, um, it's one of the safest drugs, if not this the safest drug ever invented. It's a byproduct of fermented soil bacteria. It is antimicrobial, antiviral, anti-inflammatory. Um, it's such a promising drug, and it has been used by billions of people over the past 40 years and of course um because early on it was learned that it also worked to prevent and treat SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 um the powers that be have attacked it and belittled it yes it is also used in veterinary medicine but the world health organization does not have it in their top 10 lists of most essential medicines simply to give it to horses. It is for humans that it won the Nobel prize. And um, so check it out. We have to continue to spread the word about this fantastic um, uh, pharma- the, this pharmaceutical drug that's off patent, used in every country. I'm not a doctor. Not a lawyer say that right now but i really feel that this should be in everybody's medicine cabinet next to the vitamin d the vitamin c your really good brand uh, as natural as you can get aspirin i i think it's that important um and in many countries you can buy it uh, over the counter right it's it it's crazy that but here in tennessee where i am there is a law now that you can buy ivermectin over the counter from a pharmacist. So if you're planning on taking a trip, um, you know, make a Tennessee a pit stop, come come get some ivermectin and and make sure that you've got it on hand for, for whatever is coming around next because the science is very promising that it can work for many RNA viruses and, and have many other uses. Dr. Paul Merrick has written, I believe he's uh, published a book now um, about, uh, treating cancer they're finding even ivermectin may be helpful in treating cancer and then i so i wanted to show folks too i'm going to stop that um and make sure everybody knows i've talked about it before but this is one of my favorite books right here Let's see. We've got The War on Ivermectin. You can go to Skyhorse Publishing um, and find out all the places you can buy this fabulous book by Dr. Pierre Corey, The War on Ivermectin. And the reason this is so important, even though it seems like COVID is a little bit trickling away, it's still there. It's still going to be used and pushed. And they're going to try to bring these genetic therapies into your life on an annual basis. The reason it's so important is because in this book, Dr. Corey outlines um, the marketing war, the marketing strategies used by the pharmaceutical industry to take down anything that um, harms their bottom line, that harms their profit. It is the playbook that the tobacco industry used for decades um, and that kept cigarettes from being uh, labeled as um, cancer-causing. And all the other health damages that tobacco does. So I do encourage people, um, you know, on World Ivermectin Day, just go get yourself a copy of the Warren Ivermectin. Send it to somebody you know and love, and let's let's keep this um, book, which is already a bestseller. Let's keep it a bestseller so that everybody knows. Because as I said, it's as important to know about the science of Ivermectin. It's just as important to know about the tricks and the marketing gimmicks and the evil underlying things that the pharmaceutical industry um, is doing uh, to to really keep control and keep their profits and it's harming human health and and that's why we're here (laughs) because you know this this didn't just start with covid ladies did it this capture of our regulatory agencies of the media the systemic capture of every avenue of education about vaccines. It's been the most, um, I would say, successful propaganda campaign ever in history. Because everywhere you go, every avenue you encounter, there is pharma, especially in the realm of vaccines. Um, And so the beauty of COVID. I hate that anybody's been harmed by COVID or harmed by the response to COVID, which is the greater of the harms. But the beauty of COVID is all of this underlying lies that you will read in the war on ivermectin has been revealed to so many people. And that means we're gonna be able to um, solve some problems. So with that foundation here, I'm gonna start with, with Tanya. And thank you so much for coming on the show today because what you experienced is tragically all too common. And that's when two people have a child and they split up and they have to make decisions and share decisions uh, for the child. And when vaccines come into play, um, that's where um, sometimes the issues really get contentious. So I guess I'm going to kind of start there and, and I'll let you back up a little bit. If you want to tell a little bit of backstory about, you know, who you are and how, what happened.
0: Sure. Well, Bernadette, it's always a delight to see you. We miss you here. Ah. <laughs> and so my story is, is definitely interesting. Um, I think your viewers will will find some similarities and they'll also find some new learnings, which is my hope, one, that they are not alone, and two, that they have an opportunity to learn a little bit more. Um, My story is, you know, my son was born in 2014. And unfortunately, in 2016, my son was diagnosed with autism. That was new. What, what? He's healthy. What do you mean? He's got autism. Well, apparently he's not that healthy. And that was kind of the underlying tone for since he was about two months old, why is he always just doesn't feel good? Why is why is he crying so much? Why is he screaming? What's wrong? And so that was a lot of questions that was going on. And, and single mother, I mean, we, uh, his father and I were not cohabitating um, uh, at, at birth. So I went on my own and, and was raising a little one and very content doing so. What happened was, in 2016, issues were coming up, and we were uh, recommended to potentially get an autism evaluation, which we did, and it was confirmed autistic, or the tests had confirmed autistic by the Um, University of Washington.
1: Okay, and so if I could pause you here and have you describe the symptoms that had you concerned that brought you to the doctor for this evaluation? And then the test, I mean, what did they do? Because there is no biological test. There's just
0: behavior sort of evaluation. So go ahead. Correct. Uh, Great questions. So what brought us was we were constantly at the doctor for upper respiratory issues and screaming, lots of screaming, 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 screaming and you know we really had the best nannies in the world and grandma my mother was always involved so he had excellent excellent care while i was working admittedly for big tech but you know mm-hmm. we'll we'll get to that part of the story <laughs> and so it was it was a lot of screaming it was chronic chronic mucus the nose just was constantly running and then all of a sudden he was getting ear infections out of nowhere um, So it was it was an ongoing issue, but then he stopped t- uh, developing after twelve months. Okay, so if you don't mind me
1: asking, uh, what was his vaccination status at this point?
0: So I wasn't aware of this the vaccine status issue. I'm sorry, not status. I wasn't aware of the issue, but intuitively, I did not allow any vaccines when he was born. I allowed nothing at the hospital. And I was C-section, breach, and and I said, you know, we, we got enough. We, he he just came out. We're we're not putting anything. It, it just doesn't make sense to put injections into healthy babies. And um, my doctor was perfectly supportive. The labor and delivery doctor was perfectly supportive. I only started vaccinating one vaccine at a time. Okay. I didn't go by the CDC schedule. Okay. Um, I didn't go by any schedule except my own. And his father was fine. He he didn't he didn't care either way. So his vaccine schedule was one at a time. So his symptoms never matched up with your typical two, four, six, 18, you know, nine, 18 months per the schedule. That's Mm -hmm. why, you know, when I look back, I wouldn't have known, but I wouldn't have known anyways, because I didn't know what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. So, so it was just going off of symptoms.
1: Yeah. And what we have seen, you know, when you talk to so many parents who um is that the the screaming um a lot is often the brain's on fire the encephalopathy you've got the swelling and they have no way to express that that you know intensity of what they're feeling um i'm not saying that i'm making the medical judgment that's what was making your, co- your son scream. and then sometimes it's it was the belly was on fire sometimes it was the gastrointestinal distress that was happening um but it is very frustrating that it seems like modern medicine doesn't care to figure out what's causing this in, in children. They're just saying, oh, it's normal, baby scream. Uh, no, baby screaming constantly is not normal. No,
0: it's not. <laughs> Let's and not
1: normalize this.
0: And, and the screaming began in, actually the GI began in um, October, so it began in the fall. And it was just horrendous, horrendous um, output, shall we say, of the GI Mm-hmm. Uh, so the diapers were unworldly. The, the head screaming really began in November. So November, December, January, February that, and, and in the Northwest, so I'm in the Seattle area, it's cold. I would have to take my son outside and walk him outside without a hat and without, you know, a jacket to cool off his head. And mm-hmm. I could see his head was just red, but the cold air was really helping him. We mm-hmm. had to walk him outside a lot. Because Screaming so much, but I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And his doctor was just saying, well, it's just normal to, and and let me, let me preface this. This doctor is a naturopathic physician. And she from a sphere of all places. Well, and it was, I was, she would say it's normal for children, for babies to be crying like this for, you know, three to four months. That was it. And I, I didn't know to ask questions. I just didn't know. I did what I was told and carry, you know, carry on. So now we're, now we are into March. We're slow. We're, we're approaching the 12 month, um, MMR. -hmm. That's when things flared to a whole new level. Everything changed. When you,
1: when he received the MMR. Okay. Yeah.
0: And on top of that, there was a custody situation where he had to be, he was, he had to spend time at his dad's house. Okay, and his pediatrician had said, "Whoa, no, not yet, not yet, too little, too little." Um, thankfully, we did have somebody within the court system say, "Let's let's dial this back a little bit. This child needs to be in his, with his primary um, environment in the primary environment because there's too many things going on that are not normal for this typical stage of development." So that was the 12 to 15 month mark at 18 months. The pediatrician had said, I'd like to do a speech evaluation. And then by the 24 month mark, uh pediatrician had, not the pediatrician, the speech and evaluation services. Um, we have a wonderful organization here for birth to three uh, named Kindering. And um, Kindering's professionals had said, you know, I think we should really talk about an autism evaluation. So, 24 months, my little one was diagnosed autistic.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And by then he'd been in speech therapy and, you know, just kind of had some eyes on him that were more than just myself and his nannies and his grandmother, because w- what do we know? You know, we, we don't know. We're, mm-hmm. we're just, we're moms. We're, we're grandmas. We're aunts and uncles. And, you know, we're not medical professionals. We didn't see this. We didn't know. And from that point forward, <clears throat> it it got more interesting. Uh, so that at that point, my son is um, diagnosed just shy of two and a half years old. So into um what they do is uh, early intervention therapies. And that consists of a lot of socialization and a lot of almost relationship building. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the child will learn to what's social engagement, what is appropriate social engagements. And, and he did well there. He, he liked it, but you know, he had such severe anxiety that there were challenges in that regards too. Uh, you know, I would typically think, well, he's just an introverted child. I'm not an introverted person, but I just thought, well, I'm recognizing introversion in him. So let's, let's embrace that. It turns out there's a little bit more than that. It's severe social anxiety, just severe anxiety in general. And so from that path forward, again, I still didn't know the culprit I didn't. And I continued to give him the shots needed for preschool in Washington state. I didn't exempt anything. I didn't even know what exemption was. So he's now just approaching three years old at three and a half years old is when things changed for our lives in our lives forever. At three and a half years old on the way to preschool, my son and I were rear-ended here locally um, in a car accident. Now, this car accident, on its surface, you think, well, okay, you're going to be sore for a while. That wasn't the case. I, the back of my head was smashed to the point that I have um, permanent and long-term severe vision damage. I was extremely sick from this accident, and my son was three and a half years old, in preschool, <clears throat> in a program for, um, for development, developmentally delayed and autistic children, to also intermingle with, you know, there's neurodivergent and neurotypical, right? It, it, I don't like the labels, but just for purposes of the audience, kind of follow along and what mm-hmm. this was. So here I have a brain injury, pretty significant one, and I had to get better. There is no question. There is no two ways about it. I have a little autistic child. I have to get better, and I was going to spare no expense, um, and I didn't. So what happened was is I began learning through Traumatic brain injury, so TBI, and post-concussion syndrome, so it's PCS, I began learning through peer-to-peer support groups. That following summer, so the summer of 2018, in these support groups, they were saying, you know, hey, FYI, mem-, you know, in conversation with chats and such, don't get a flu shot. Your neurology is already toast. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't get your flu shot. Well, I don't do flu shots. So I thought, well, that's kind of strange. I want to know more about that. Mm-hmm. And that's where the light, even though my lights were real dim from these injuries, the light started going off thinking, is there a connection? Is there a correlation between Mm -hmm. my son's health issues and vaccines? Mm -hmm. And so that's really where the rabbit hole started for me. Um, However, I had already hired Dr. Tony Bark Mm. to do an independent medical review because my son was still just sickly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's sweet woman. Bless her heart. She, yeah. um, she pre-framed prior. I just want to warn you a little bit. Just, just, just want to warn you. She tried. I still didn't get it because my brain was simply not working. It just mm-hmm. didn't. And so I received the um, report, her independent medical um, evaluation that my son was in fact impacted by vaccines and his current uh, medical and behavioral status. Mm-hmm. So, that was a tough pill to swallow. I thought, oh, great. But like any normal parent, any normal parent would go to the other parent and say, "Whoa, we got to stop. We got to stop these vaccines.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That was not the, right. No. Well, no, you you went, but he did not agree. Is that oh, what I, you're saying?
0: I went as a normal parent saying, whoa, dad, yeah. now we've got some answers. Let's Let's move forward differently. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. No,
0: it was back in front of an arbitrator so fast you couldn't, you you, you, know, yeah, the the moon can't move fast enough for that. And, um, all sorts of labels anti vaxxer, psychological danger. Uh, I got smeared to no end, and I, I, all I'm saying is, what, but you know, I'm holding up the paper. Here's the report. What, 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 the arbitrator was a little bit alarmed by the report. I will give him credit for that. He did mandate the flu shot immediately, even though one year prior, uh, my son's father and I had denied, not denied, we had declined Hep A and the flu shot. So my son was age three in his child well visit. We had declined that together. I'm like, no, we don't need that.
1: Mm-hmm. It's,
0: not, it's not needed for Washington state. We'll just, we're just going to skip that one. But once it became a focal point of conflict, then it was used against me.
1: Right. And I think you just hit on something. um, And um, Patty, I kind of want to pull you in a little bit on this part of the conversation. Hey, Patty. Um, So, um, Tanya just began the part of her story where vaccines become a focal point between parents that are split up and the kids are caught in the middle. Is that something that you've witnessed a lot? Because I sure have um, heard a whole heck of a lot about that.
2: I cannot tell you how many times uh, spouses have gotten into a dispute over vaccines where there never was one. And yeah. uh, one spouse uses it as a club to beat the other with, regardless of their view. Right. And uh, typically, I, I mean, I would tell anybody who's getting married now that if, you know, prenuptials are yeah, like there you go. <laughs> right? You yeah. know, because you're almost betting on on the uh, outcome being negative to the to the nuptial. Um, but I, I I really think that it's something you should you know establish, or even if it's not a prenup an agreement with your spouse Yeah. because you could have all the evidence in the world. You both had exemptions, for example, mm-hmm. never vaccinated. Now, all of a sudden you want child support and the husband's going to turn around or the wife, you know, yeah. whatever it is, is going to turn around and say, um, no, you know, uh, you have to fully vaccinate. So I've I've seen it
1: thousands,
2: yeah. a thousand times.
1: And yeah, and a major, it, a couple of things here. No other pharmaceutical on the planet could be used as a weapon as this. Like if your child, you know, so, well, most drugs that are, um, I suppose next we'll get into psych drugs, right? Because I'm so anti-psych drugs right now. Like, you know, I'm all about disarm pharma because of these very dangerous drugs that they're putting kids on. So that might be the next club in divorce court used. But those aside, you know, there's no other drug where a judge or a court would say, i'm not even going to evaluate whether it's safe for this child right i mean the mindset is vaccines are standard of care and they're safe and effective and that has permeated the judicial system the family court it's everywhere it's saturated and and then in the second, we're not going to go into it too much here, but I want to talk to you more, Patty, in the second hour about the Jacobson decision, because it seems like a lot of the problems stem from there. When the court said it's not our place to decide whether the shots are safe and effective, that's kind of what the public says. And they elect the people who write the law. So we're just going to trust them. We're not going to rule on the science. But I'm getting ahead of our myself on our conversation. Um, so, so yeah. So Tanya, what you have experienced, um, with suddenly you guys had agreed everything was fine on vaccines, but suddenly it has now become an issue. Um, a very contentious issue. And you submitted the expert testimony of of the beloved, uh, Tony Bark, who we lost in 2019. And Patty, did you know, yeah.
2: I loved her. I loved her to death. We were very good friends. And I'm sad. I I can't even believe it happened. It was so quick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tony Bark passed away from, from cancer after quite the valiant fight and trying you know every form of natural medicine and you know some of the traditional medicines but um and this is a little bit squirreling but i believe she talked a lot about when she was in med school she offered herself up as a guinea pig for a lot of things especially the hepatitis b vaccine and i think she got three um and that might have been part of you know those things were contaminated with that um monkey um the SV40. Oh, yeah. thing. Remember that?
2: Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. That was part of her story. Um, so anyway, and you know, again, Bernadette doesn't know for sure that's what caused it, but she couldn't have eaten any healthier, taken any better care of herself. She was amazing. So there was some environmental factor that was so strong that she wasn't able to, um, you know, overtake it, and then I do find it interesting that, in hindsight, that it was 2019, and there's a lot of evidence now that um, SARS-CoV-2 was circulating in 2019, and that spike protein um, does have the capability of um, of making cancers um, kind of get out of control. So who knows? I, we will never know. Um, there's so much that we won't know, and it's a lot of conjecture. And but you know, this is this is what people do we look around, we make observations. Observation is the first step in science. And it's and as mama bears, we try to observe and make educated decisions. Right now, the medical community um, does not want any anecdotal stories to have any weight, even though in the big picture of science, it's clinical trials and clinical experience and anecdotes that are all supposed to inform the decision. But, you know, our stories are being dismissed. I'm going to give a little plug real quick and then I get back to Tanya. Um, Speaking of anecdotal stories, get yourself ready because Children's Health Defense bus is hitting the road, 40 some foot. RV, all painted, childrenshealthdefense.org, going on the road. And they're going to be collecting your stories. And they're going to, they want your non-vaccinated story of health, your vaccinated story, injuries, everything you've got, remdesivir stories. Um, They're going to be collecting these stories and doing also a survey study. They're going to be um, gathering the data for an actual study while they're on the road as well as doing these interviews. So, you know, if, if the powers that be refuse to listen to the people and to ignore the avalanche of injury that the pharmaceutical industry has caused, well, we're just going to take it through the road and we're going to do it ourselves. So there we are. Okay. So Tanya, back to you. So your son at this point is, was three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um the family court arb- arbiter.
0: It was a, arbitrator, yes. It was
1: arbitrator, um, completely disregarded professional former pediatrician, ER doctor, Tony Bark, um, ignored everything that she said and, and
0: said and ruled that your son had to get the flu vaccine. Uh, yes, in and in the end, for the sake of time. So in the end, yes, he ordered the flu, he ordered Um, which is not required in Washington state for schools. And he ordered all the boosters um, prior to starting kindergarten. So
1: I don't understand that. So we've got you not wanting any vaccines and then the boy's father. Is he the one pushing for all these extra shots that weren't even required for school? I mean, or so it was him because this arbiter cannot put his opinion in is, I mean, as far as, oh, let's go above and beyond what's required for schools, right? Well,
0: actually they, they do. They do. The arbitrator has, it has to be called out on it, but the arbitrator in our case um, gave himself um, wide leverage and discretionary opinions that which, you know, in my position at the time, had I pushed back any more than I did. And I pushed back a lot. I would be labeled the problem even more so than I was already being labeled the problem. So now you're entering a situation and this was, this was in 2019. Um, so now you're entering a situation where you're in a legal and I don't, I shouldn't say legal cause it actually gives legal a bad name. You're in a narrative <laughs> situation. Yeah. I, 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 I got to give some credit to the legal field here. You know, it's like, I, I there, what's happening is it's the narrative. The narrative is the one that's that's coming up. You don't speak against these products. You go along with the, what the medical professionals say. Well, the medical professionals who did weigh in, and it's on record, they never read Dr. Bark's report. They said, mm-hmm. one, they went, a couple of them would actually go through and were defamatory towards her. And I'm thinking she's got more credit credentials than you do. Yeah. Um, but you know, I had to mind myself how much I could pop off. And so at the end of the day, he was ordered to get all of his boosters prior to kindergarten or this, you know, like the, the September ish timeframe. Mm-hmm. And I did pitch a fit over that exponentially. And so they agreed to spread out all of those boosters over, I think it was like over three or four months time period. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, the father was also in denial of autism, so we had to have another um, autism di- uh, autism um, evaluation.
1: evaluation
0: yeah evaluation of which that followed right after those shots and mm-hmm. lo and behold, he's still autistic i can't imagine why, yeah. so you know, I, I just sit there and scratch my head, and I have a wonderful legal team you know they're they're lawyers they, they abide by um. You know the bar's recommendations and kind of innuendoed positions but they've said like hey we're we are we're not going to go up against pharma on this we're not going to go up against anyone on this the bottom line is this is not right for your child and we're going to fight this because we don't want him to die wow and you know that meant a lot that meant a mm-hmm. lot that means they had to go up against their own their own so to speak you know within the law yeah. and but here you know unfortunately 2020 rolls around I'm in a rock and a hard place because of my brain injury. My son's dad was trying to um, re- remove my son from his, from my care. And so that's an extra level of terrorization that, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the average person doesn't necessarily have to experience. Thank goodness.
1: So, yeah. Um, hold that thought. Okay. I want to, I want you to remember where you are. Okay. Um because I want to ask Patty a little bit about what you said, where these attorneys in their bar association, I'm not an attorney. I don't know all the lingo, but I recall um, there was something uh, Patty that happened. Like it was at the New York bar association declaration of that. Can you, do you remember what I'm talking about? You
2: You know, uh, yes. Uh, The New York bar association, uh, endorsed uh, mandating vaccines yeah and uh, the law journal came to me for a quote and i you know i wasn't really thinking and i was like oh who cares what these stupid lawyers say <laughs> yeah. <something> like that. <laughs> sure enough you know it's like front page of the law journal and you know i, I can tell you my career as uh, it's it's been hard i mean look at RFK, you know, I mean, I'm not a Kennedy, but I, you know, I've had a whooping too because of this. But anyway, our Bar Association mandated uh, vaccines and you would not believe who else they asked for a comment, Dorit Reese.
1: Oh, well, no, I believe they would ask her. Well, it
2: was funny because she agreed with me and she said, you know, that the state, uh, could not mandate the vaccine. I'm pretty sure that's what she said. And it was kind of
1: shocking. That she agreed with you, that you and Dorit Reese agreed. So Tanya, do you know who Dorit Reese is? She's an attorney in California that- If she's real. ...rabidly pro-vaccine and often appears with like Paul Offit. And and so, so, Is she
2: real though? I mean, I know she has pseudo- uh, well, well,
1: whether or not she does all of her social media posts, I don't know. Um, but I believe she has a, appeared in person, not a, at events. So I believe she is a real person. But
2: I did see a video of her one time, and she appeared to—if it was her—to uh, have all these nervous tics and yeah. Some type of a neurological issue. I, I mean, I don't know what it is. I'm not a doctor, but it was obvious.
1: Yeah, that she does Bernadette. obviously have something.
2: And mm-hmm. somebody had commented, you know, maybe it's the deluge of vaccines, but I, uh, you know, they're they're terribly dangerous. And I mean, mm-hmm. I know what I've seen in my career, and and I'm sure Bernadette and and now you, Tanya it's just extraordinary the injury to the children and it it goes back you know to when they in the 60s when they started licensing you know the mmr or it wasn't even mmr it was the mumps that came first and you know and then back then here in new york they were saying it was the the neurological uh, the neurological disabilities that were appearing in children were being caused by mosquitoes infected <laughs> with equine and which, yes, mosquitoes can do that. But I remember even as a kid going, uh-uh, ah, this is this is the vaccines. Like I mean, I was really little. Yeah. And I lived in between Pfizer and Rockland Psychiatric Center. And Mm-hmm. Pfizer was experimenting on the people at the psychiatric center. I mean, the whole thing was so sick, and I, New York was absolutely a hotbed for this type of experimentation. We had Plum Island, we had we had Pfizer, we had Rockefeller, We had everybody. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, my family was personally affected. So,
1: wow. Yeah, it's quite, well, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, what an attorney it pledges to do, I mean, they're there to, to work for their client, to, you know, uphold the law, or, you know, even if their client's guilty, they're supposed to do whatever they can to help their client everything legally within their means to help their client and to to come out as an association and say they believe in vaccine mandates and everybody should get vaccines is anathema it's it's like the polar opposite of what an attorney should be and and i like to quote the former chief science officer of washington state who we completely disagreed on vaccines. However, she said, um, uh, vaccine policies are set at the population level and doctors are supposed to administer vaccines at the individual level. Mm -hmm. And so for an attorney who's supposed to be your go-to profession you go to when, when you wanna protect your rights, your medical freedom rights, your legal right to not vaccinate or whatever, you want to go to somebody who's going to be looking after you and your child's unique individual, right? Not somebody who's so biased. They they think that everybody on the planet could get a thousand shots and be fine, right? I mean, it was just absurd to me that that profession would step into this realm in this blanket fashion because that's not what the law is about. You know, it's not a, it's applying at the individual cases. OK, so I digress. I hope, Tanya, let me see what time it is. Um, oh, we're doing good. Um, but you know, we're, we're like, uh, probably 12 minutes or so toward to like the top of the other 15. Anyway. Um, so we were up to like 2020.
0: Yes. So I, I can, I can, this one's a good part. So 2020 rolls around. We know what's coming. We knew in the medical awareness community what was coming. I was terrified, 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 but sure enough, Twenty twenty one rolls around and the, the kids, the 12 and under became available, the COVID shot for kids. I think my son had an appointment for those shots before they were even available. He was like in the second week of the schedule when it was came out. I, I cannot, I cannot even explain the level of terror. I gained 10 pounds in one week and I didn't need a thing. Um, stress, trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, my son was given the shot and and um, I wasn't there. I won't. I won't be present. I won't. He's going to remember that I was not present, and that was for a reason. Um, a couple weeks later, severe dehydration. We were sent to ER. Uh, we were sent to urgent care. I had to take him to the ER, um, where he had to have, ironically, the same medication that I have to take, which is Zofran, for anti-nausea, because that's we had to stop. We had to get him to stop throwing up, mm-hmm. and get some fluids back into it. Four days after that, <clears throat> this is what's really alarming. Four days after that was Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, with his, you know, he's with his cousins. He's excited. He, what is he like? I forget how old, seven, seven, I think. He was just happy. And then all of a sudden he just stopped. He was just he was so lethargic. head was listing to one side and I thought, what's going on? Maybe he had too much sugar. I'm not sure. He went into the bathroom because he thought he was going to throw up. And gushed his nose blushed out giant clotty blood clots of a blood of a bloody nose. And he says, Mom, I I don't feel good. My head is what do you say, my head is confusing. That's what he said. My head Mm. is confusing. Mm. I was it was it was just a horror play. I knew. I knew what darn well what it was. It was playing out right in front of me. So but he had to be at his dad's the next morning. So I had to drive basically from the Canadian border back to Seattle Christmas Eve. On that drive, very quietly, my son in the back car, in the back seat of the car, he says, Mom, I think my nose is bleeding. And I pulled over because it's the middle of an ice storm, a rain ice storm. Now, mind you, I shouldn't even be driving in this. But I had to take him home. I had to take him back to his dad's. So I had to drive. And the reason I couldn't drive is because of my vision damage. So I pulled over in a safe uh, lit area. And look in the backseat of my car. He has blood. It's all over his clothes, all over the seatbelt, all over the car seat. There is blood everywhere. And I turned around and went to the fire station that we just passed. The firemen, bless their hearts, wonderful men. The firemen said, where did this come from? They were pretty angry kind of at me thinking that I, I did something. And I said, I think it came from the COVID shots. They got so angry. And I said, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And, and they said, who would have done this? Who does this to children? They were so angry. Wow. And I said, oh, oh, oh. I, I just stood there. just I didn't know what to say because I, the reaction was like, one, we would want to see protecting children. Right. But at the same time, my son knows how to identify pain zero to 10. And, and, they, and they said, you know, where's, where's the pain? And, and he said, Mama, well, my head is 12 out of 10. And he was still oh. gushing, and they couldn't get him to stop bleeding. Wow. But again, this ice storm. And and they said, You got to get through the pass. There was, a, there was a little lowlands pass. They said, You got to get through the pass. You have to go now. Darkness has set in. You don't have much time. And because this pass is really icy and it's dangerous. And they said, Once you get to the other side, if the pain hasn't subsided, you need to go to the ER. So that was Christmas Eve. He ended up in the ER. And of course, he was fine by the time I got to the ER, but I was still like, you know, silently crying my eyes out, driving 80 to 90 miles an hour, like trying to get through this pass ahead of the rainstorm to, or the, the ice storm to the ER. And his pediatric office was, stayed on the phone with me. They were, the nurses at his, at this office that his dad placed him in. Um, I really, I have a lot of admiration for these nurses because they get it. And sometimes they'll even say it out loud. So. I got to the point, you know, got that taken care of and things smooth. There's nothing I can do at this point. The friends and and within our medical awareness community who knew he was given the shots, many had reached out and said, how can I help you try this, try that, you know, kind of things to help support his body get through that. So Mm -hmm. I'm extremely grateful for those men and women who reached out or were willing to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is, you know, now it's Christmas night, Christmas morning, uh, he went to his dad's very next day. And this goes back to what you were saying, Patricia. The very next day. In, in, you, know, you know the area I live. There's a foot of snow. His dad ran out to the pharmacy the very next morning and gave him the second shot. Wow. Wow.
1: After this bleeding episode with giant clots in the bleeding and got him the second shot.
0: So, so... The terrorization was very intentional from my, but the family court system, here's the situation with the family court system. Had I gone back to the family court system and said, no, this child can't have this shot. I would have been in a position at the time to have him removed from my care. Wow, And that was happening at that time. I do know one, one father, who said, no, 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 no. And a guardian ad litem recommended, recommended that the father not have any contact with the child because the father was a psychological psychological threat to the child's life. So I had to make a choice. Roll the dice, Russian roulette style, which is exactly what had happened, or run the risk of going back and losing him altogether. I can't I can't fix him. No. It's taken away. So I had to quietly...
1: I'm so pray, sorry,
0: pray, pray, yeah. Sorry. yeah, And I'm not the only one. I mean, there are so many parents, whether it's the mom or the dad, it doesn't matter if you decide to use this topic as an issue, as a mechanism of power and control within the family court system, because you're going to get one up over your other, over the other parent, mm-hmm. where's the benefit to the child? There is none. Mm-mm. And you know, here in Washington State, I'm I'm aware of. I can't say I've seen it with my own eyes. I heard it from multiple attorneys that the Washington State Bar was saying, "Stay out of vaccine issues. Don't be fighting this. Leave it alone. Just follow the um, public health recommendations." That's that's mm-hmm. what they were hiding behind. Follow the public health recommendations. So, I mean, I know many many children that were forced to get this, and out of nowhere out of nowhere, they were forced to get it by a parent that wanted to exert their power and control.
1: Wow. Yeah, have you seen that too, Patty? I'm looking at the, let me see what the time here is. Um, Yeah, we've got time. Have you uh, seen that also that out of nowhere, um, suddenly the vaccine issue, where does it come in with you as an attorney? Um, When are you usually pulled in? Is it um, in cases where the non-vaccinating parent is, is fighting to protect their child? I know you've done issues you've you've done some great work with school mandates and things like that but have you done divorce cases or you know yes,
2: I, I have but I, you know tanya i'm surprised at how you've uh, talked so highly about your lawyers i i wouldn't say i share that view generally <laughs> i mean i tend to work with lawyers that are you know, of a higher caliber because we are public interest lawyers. We're constitutional attorneys. It's definitely not about the money. Uh, Divorce attorneys tend to be in it for the money. And uh, so when you get involved in a complicated mess, like something to do with vaccinations, they typically, you know, just tell people, go ahead, get it, get it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm usually brought in at that phase. I, I personally don't like to do divorce. I'm, you know, I may quote script, scripture, you know, what God is united. Let no man put asunder. And it's just not something I want to do. Although, I mean, I am divorced myself, unfortunately, but, um, It's just not something I felt like I wanted to make money off of. But typically what happens is a parent comes to me when they hit this impasse where there is one spouse beating the other over the head with the vaccine club. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it happens a lot. And typically the only way... To resolve it is negotiation because if you get in front of a judge, um, you know they're they're typically going to follow the public health mm-hmm. consensus, right? And uh, and it's a contract matter. It's it's a contractual issue, and uh, when you're married, you actually give the court the authority to resolve that particular co-parenting issue mm-hmm. and it's uh, quite sad I mean fortunately that wasn't a problem in my separation um but you know if if, if there's something you can give the other spouse like
1: yeah.
2: you know I don't want any money take the child support. yeah
1: Yeah, you got to kind of and it's it's a shame that that negotiation has to happen. It looks like we're going to be down to about one more minute. And Tanya, um, are you going to be able to come back to the next hour to give us a little bit more? I want to hear how your son is doing now. And um, and then, you know, gals, let's try to talk this this first hour was about what we don't want to see happen to anybody. And let's see if we can look closely at the law and Patty guide us on how we got here. And let's see if we can throw out some solutions. Um, although I do like that sign of prenup about the vaccine issue might be uh, protective moving forward. Uh, I think that will be a really good one. Um, yeah,
2: you can slip it in when you guys are still lovey-dovey. Yeah. You
1: know, yeah. And
2: before the kids come. Yeah, <laughs> we'll make a, you should make it a pre-pregnancy agreement. That's, oh. that's, that's like, oh, I'm going to be rich now. I'll write a book. There you go. The pre-pregnancy agreement.
1: Yeah, that I think, you know, we have to st- start thinking smarter as we untangle pharmaceutical hold on every system uh, we do have to put these legal things in place individually so we're going to take a, a short break we'll come back uh we'll come back to tanya goodman and patty finn the attorney the good health lawyer uh you're listening to 11:50 AM kknw and chd TV. we'll be right back
2: if you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day then look no further than the flame paper the Flame paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com.
1: During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic
0: principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website
1: informchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informchoicewa.org today we need a Hello and welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Uh, so glad to be with you. I want to remind um, everybody, as I said at the top of the first hour, that hey, tomorrow is World Ivermectin Day. World Ivermectin Day. Ivermectin is one of the most amazing medicines ever invented it is a uh, byproduct of fermented soil bacteria uh, discovered by a wonderful researcher in japan many many years ago it's on the world health organization's top 10 list of most essential medicines it's been given to 40 billion people its uh, makers won the nobel prize for saving so many human lives and i i as a not a doctor um at all, but do believe after my research, and you can see the book behind me there, The War on Ivermectin by Dr. Pierre Corey. Get your hands on that book. I do believe it's it's a medicine that is very much should be a staple everywhere. Um, glad to say here in Tennessee, you can now buy it over the counter from participating pharmacists who particip- participating under a new law that we have here. So come visit Tennessee, y'all, and get yourself some ivermectin and um, Anyway, so with that, uh, we've got two great ladies in the house. They were here the first hour. I'm so glad they can come back the second. We've got Tanya Goodman, um, who's a mom, a wonderful, uh, strong advocate for her child. And Patty Finn, uh, the good health attorney, who's an advocate for all of her clients and works so hard on all of these issues um, about medical freedom and foreign consent kind of the capture even of the legal system by the pharmaceutical industry's narrative. I think, Tanya, you used a good word there in the first hour where you said you're you're fighting the narrative often in family court about, you know, pressure all around to not at all give a nod that anybody should ever decide not to vaccinate. I mean, that's where we are. So, Tanya, let's finish up uh, your own individual story. Um, do you remember where you left off with us? Um he's it was Christmas, a little after Christmas, and your son has been
0: given the the booster now. Actually, it wasn't the booster, it was the second in the series. Oh, the so second we, in the series. The first, okay. Yeah, the first in the series had him dehydrated and uh sent to the ER. And there was sickness and you know, your your average, unfortunately. I, I hate even saying that as the average, but the second shot, um, that was just utter devastation and not with the child's not well for a couple of months, just chronically not feeling good. And that no,
1: bloody nose, that, terrifying experience. Uh,
0: that, mm-hmm. that, that was a whole, that was a whole different level. He had more bloody noses following that, but what's the point of saying anything when it's just gonna, I'm like, oh, what's he gonna do? Is he going to run out and give him a booster now? I mean, I don't want to raise mm-hmm. the red flag that there is an issue and then have like a negative um, response to it. Right. So, you know, what happened is, is now the boosters are rolling out. For the little ones about five months later and i say little ones i mean like the teens and and then the the littlest ones the boosters rolled out that following fall and you know my son's dad wasted no time he was right in there i think uh signed up to get the booster and the flu shot at the same time only this time i, I really wasn't going to go quietly i mean I, I just was so angry at that point and i point blank asked the doctor the pediatrician for the safety data can you show me the studies can we talk about the side effects she wouldn't and wouldn't have
1: the conversation wouldn't wouldn't
0: have the conversation she just kept saying it's safe it's effective and I said "I, I would really like to see the information please I was very polite about it um and she said I gave it to my two young children at the same time and they did just fine
1: you know, this is right out of the CDC playbook. You can go to the CDC right now, and you can download the instructions to the doctors about the presumptive method and how to coerce, compel. You you say, I got it for my children. This is so alarming that, you know, and, and here she is. <laughs> there she was, and here
0: I was, too. I'm like, ma'am, boy. So I just smiled and said, we have already had reactions. We've had a number of reactions. You, we have a medical exemption. Why are we, why are we pursuing this? And she, um, she just wouldn't have it. She just spoke right, right over me as if I, you know, I'd ask the safety, I'd ask for the efficacy, I'd ask for the, the potential side effects. And then I, I did have the informed consent law, the RCW, and cited it. And I said, you yeah, know, I'm just asking for conformed consent. This is, this is really, it, it's, it's a legal parameter that allows for the rest of us parents who aren't as trained to be able to make informed decisions about what's happening with our children. That didn't go over very well. So my son was given the flu and the booster, and within two weeks, he was down for almost three weeks. He missed wow. two and a half weeks of school. Wow.
1: At one point when you, you were just talking there and you were talking about your interaction with this pediatrician, you said that he had a medical exemption. You
0: had gotten a medical
1: exemption. I I think I missed something in your story. Yes,
0: we missed it in the whole story, especially at the live time um, in 2018, because the one doctor that did read Dr. Tony Bark's report issued a medical exemption. But because I had a brain injury, I forgot about it. Oh, wow. It was buried in piles of paper. I had no idea. Oh, Tony. I had no idea. It oh, was devastating. It was devastating. The only doctor that read Dr. Tony Bark's report issued a medical exemption, but I didn't know it. I didn't present it to the courts cause I just didn't remember my, I mean, I was pretty injured with this cognition and memory thing from uh, the accident, but I did provide it to this new practice. Or so I thought oh. provided yeah, and- it either because they had received none of the medical files.
1: I'm wondering, um, would it because the decision of the family court had waited um, for the father for vaccination to occur, can a, a, a medical exemption override that?
0: In theory, yes in theory, uh, it it should be able to override it. However, I mean, who are we kidding? These are AAP pediatricians that are more than happy to go along and just, I got, and say, here's a court order. He's getting the shots. And I can say, well, here's a medical exemption. Like, what are you going to pick? They're going to pick this court order. They're going to hide behind the court order. And there was no point in fight. There was no point in even having the disagreement, and plus my son was with an earshot, so I had to be really careful about what was being said. I don't want to alarm him and scare him.
1: No, I, I do want to say that because I've known you for a while, Tanya. That, um, like a lot of moms in this situation, you work really hard to not add trauma to your son's life. You yeah. know, to not have it um, take discussions out of the room whenever possible. Make sure he feels loved by both parents, even Absolutely. if you guys are bitterly disagreeing. So, I admire you for that. I know it's not easy to do, um, but you know, it, it, trauma is hard on the kid. And um, anyway, so thank you for clarifying that. That is that's hard. And well, you know, it's really makes me like in hindsight, it's like I knew you then. I wish I had known, I should have been helping.
0: Uh, you <laughs> know, I, you know, i going through your files. <laughs> <laughs> but I just didn't know. I mean, that's the thing with brain you didn't injuries. No, you didn't know. Yeah. I just didn't know, that I didn't know. And, and I, you know, I just have to be grateful for all the hardships and there's a lot. I just have to be grateful that we're still standing and we're, we're going to get healthy. We're going to get better. My head's going to get better. His body, you know, I have to say, and I know I'm not the only parent. I will look at my son sleeping and think, you know, my goodness, it's a ticking time bomb. What's, when's it going to, when's, when's something gonna break? When thing, when is this going to happen? Is it going to happen? So the unknown is horrifying. I don't know what kind of blood tests, not that I could do them anyways, but I wouldn't even know what blood tests to, to, run, to check what's, what is developing in his body. I just, I don't know. And my hands are tied. So, you know, I can only rely on the likes of, you know, Dr. James Lyon Weiler and, and Mercola and, and, Steve Kirsch and all the names that we know that offer suggestions on how to help your body be stronger, to purge what it can purge. And that's all I can do at this point. Yeah. Well, I admire you for, for
1: doing that. And I encourage you to, you know, continue on your own healing journey and try to find peace because we really are all of us in, in various degrees living through very very stressful times i yeah. mean yeah. a lot of us have said we're in the weirdest world war three right now where you know everything's sort of being weaponized against us and it's very easy to be in that state of of stress and overwhelm and we can so- either let it undermine us or mm-hmm. we can find ways to cope and find those you know i
0: want to comment real quick on your on your comment about Protecting the children from being traumatized. Yeah, because I don't speak ill of vaccines in front of my son. He's he is you know he's of the age where you're going to get some parroting and mom said and I don't need to have that come at me too. Mm-hmm. So I don't talk about that. But what I am finding and I'm very concerned about the children who have had the shots and the teens. It's now coming out on mainstream media that there are problems and that's not overtly being talked about, but it's being talked about enough because my son heard it. His dad's home has regular, you know, MSNBC, Bloomberg, Mm -hmm. CNN, you know, the, the, the the main news just kind of rotating. And my son heard the vaccines are bad, mom. I'm thinking why, yes, they are. But (laughs) I, you know, I, I couldn't respond that way. And I said, well, tell me more about that. And he says, we, he was talking about some celebrity that, may the vaccine have had something to do with the celebrity dying. He says, Mom, these vaccines are going to kill people, aren't they? And I, and I said, well, you know, let's, let's talk about that. We have really good immune systems in our body. I mean, what am I supposed to tell him? And he's not the only child who had the shot and mm-hmm. is now hearing mainstream media talking about how bad these shots are. Because they are bad, but they're not really talking about how extremely bad they are it's yeah.
1: to come out it, it's it's going to be traumatizing to a lot of people when they realize and i do ache for the children now you know working with informed choice washington um you know we've at times done flash mobs and educational events and gone to where let's say there's pop-up vaccine clinics but we have always set a rule for ourselves to stay a certain distance and make sure any messaging that's out there is is not inflammatory because if children are being brought in that, they're already nervous. They know they're being brought somewhere. There's vaccines. And the last thing we want to do is make this child more scared. And we believe in parental rights. If the parents are making their own medical decision to do this, right, we just want to make sure it's a fully informed decision. So we try, we, you know, have not get too close and make sure our signs are not anything that a child would in, interpret in a big way uh, to be scared. Um, it's difficult to do. So, um, so I would like to move on now, though, um, to Patty, can you help us understand how we got here and i know you know a lot of it is rooted in that 1905 jacobson decision can you give us uh, i know you've talked about this a lot so i'm kind of throwing this at you but i'm hoping you can kind of give listeners an overview of that decision because i know there's parts of it you really love and there's parts of it that you don't
2: uh, you know, I'm still working on the same cases that I was working on when COVID started. Wow. Uh, you might find that hard to believe, but I'm still doing the mass case. I'm still doing the NYPD case. Good. I'm still representing that little boy uh, mm-hmm. that is vaccine injured and mm-hmm. has been denied a medical exemption. And uh, it's funny because, you know, you helped me even with the grammar and some of the pleading. Yeah. <laughs> and I am uh, remarkably still standing. You know, we, we've been kicked around and, and bounced up here and there to courts. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm uh, going to the Supreme Court uh, again. Uh, In the next two weeks, we're filing for a petition. Well, we haven't been approved yet, but we're filing for a petition uh, for writ of certiorari to review uh, the legality of the COVID-19 mandate without uh, informed consent. So I guess that's right up your alley.
1: Oh, wow. That's fantastic, uh, Patty yeah it
2: is, and i you know what I can read to you the preamble uh, of of the uh writ just to give you an idea oh of yeah what, uh, the preamble is uh that, that this case presents nearly the same issue and question of law as posed in the landmark vaccination refusal case, Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Over a century ago, the Supreme Court reasoned the constitutional protections of the individual is not unlimited. That's the part you don't like.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> there's a couple parts I don't like, but go ahead. <laughs> the state police power to mandate a vaccination in the event of a public health emergency. The Jacobson Court held the decision to mandate the vaccination was within the province of the elected legislature, analogizing the state's police power to impose a vaccination mandate is the same as the power to enforce a quarantine. Now, that's the opening paragraph. So you might say, Patty, oh, my gosh, you're <laughs> already, you know, you're agreeing with them. So here, here's the point. I have no choice but to agree with the court because that is the role, That is the law. So after duking this out for 20 years, I've made friends with Jacobson. And I've made friends with the law, because the truth is, uh, it is not a constitutional question of law. The states, uh, let's say that the mandate of a vaccine is equivalent to a quarantine. That's what the Supreme Court said. That's not what Patty said. That's what the Supreme Court said. In every state in the United States, and I'll narrow that to New York because I know New York, in order to quarantine somebody, you have to uh, get their permission. And if you don't get their permission, you have to bring them in front of a magistrate. And you uh, have to present evidence to a magistrate and you you get an opportunity to defend your case. So why is this different than family court? Because in family court, the judge is not going to consider any evidence. The judge is simply going to rule that the consensus is the vaccines are safe and you're in you're in this dispute with your husband and the family court judge is gonna side with the the public consensus. However, under in every state, in order to quarantine somebody, you have to go before the magistrate. If I say no, you know, I'm not gonna quarantine, you can't make me, you can't make me, that's my favorite, um, you get an opportunity to go in front of a judge. So what's the difference? In in the law, the burden is shifted to the government. And the government has to prove that the vaccine is safe and effective and necessary. That is not what you had in family court. But if you look at the public health law in New York State and every other state, uh, you you get an opportunity for uh, a hearing, and they have to prove one you're infected. I think it's ninety percent of the population that has COVID nineteen or has had it. So you you have studies, you have credible studies showing, uh, you know everybody's had COVID. You either got vaccinated, or or you have it. But if I have COVID immunity, then I'm not infected, right? I don't have a risk of infection. So that, that's the first prong. The second prong is, is the vaccine the least restrictive alternative? This is again, not an option you had in family court. You, you they, they weren't going to consider this. But if I have, if I have no immunity, And there is, and this vaccine just does not work. I mean, we know now, I mean, we may, the the data may not have been as clear as it was three years ago, Mm -hmm. but it's beyond clear now that breakthrough cases occur and the vaccine doesn't work. So when the Supreme Court says it's up to the legislature I'm saying to the Supreme Court, I agree with you. And the legislature in New York says I have to be infected and the vaccine has to be the least restrictive alternative. Well, it doesn't work. So wow. how is it that you can make me take this shot without my consent? Uh, Patty,
1: that's brilliant. Yeah, that is, is absolutely <laughs> I only took me 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! I so, I just so yeah. love this. It, I'm oh. I love it too, and and you know
2: it was funny because it was my client in the mass case, who happens to be a lawyer herself, and she called me and she said, "Have you heard this guy out in Indiana?" And I was like, "He was uh, some public health uh, professional." She sent me a video on shoes and sure as a nose on your face, he laid out that argument. So I can't take credit that I cooked it up. Okay. <laughs> he, he explained the public health law, so I went and looked up our laws in New York mm-hmm. State and I have the data to support it. And um, so now I'm saying to the Supreme Court, You're right, it's up to the legislature, and the legislature says, I get a hearing. And it's not my burden of proof. It's the government, and the government can't make their burden of proof. Mm-hmm. And we want a hearing. Mm-hmm. I want to get in front of a judge, Tony. Yeah. You have loved to get in front of that judge. <laughs> and Tony's case. Yeah. You know Tony's report. Argued your evidence. You were shut down. You never got out of the gate. Now, if I'm applying Jacobson and I'm saying this is what you say the law is what matters, it's up to the legislature, The leg- you said it's like a quarantine. Well, here in New York, this is the law on the quarantine. And there, there's one more point I should make. This is not a school-required vaccine. Okay, In New York and in every state, there are no adult vaccine mandates. There are only mandates to go to school for children.
1: And well, you're talking about the state level. Now, employers are another thing for adults, but we're talking the state.
2: an employer. Yeah. An employer I can't make you submit to an involuntary medical treatment without Uh, I'm uh, getting a judicial order from a magistrate. They have no legal record.
1: For for any vaccine, any, not just COVID? If I'm an
2: adult, adult, I'm an adult in New York. No vaccines for adults by law. If I was a student or in family court, it'd be different. But under the law in New York State, uh, no vaccines for adults. That's been cleared uh, in a couple of cases, and medical uh, workers. Everybody, everybody. That's why <laughs> that, uh, that. Well, there was there. Wait a minute. There is one little quirk. That EUA, uh, the the president is able to mandate for Medicare Medicaid. That's how if if you have a hospital. That's receiving Medicare and Medicaid. The the president under the statute, it appears, had the authority to require that healthcare workers get the vaccine as a condition mm. of the funding. It was like when they raised the drinking age. I remember when I was I was 18. I went to school in West Virginia and it was the only state that still had a drinking age of 18. New York was 21, everybody was 21. So you know, we were tearing it up back then. And good old. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the the point being is that they they forced the states to raise the drinking age by withholding funding for highways, highways, mm. roadways. They said, "Look, you're not getting your federal funding unless you raise your drinking age." So they courted the state. So there, there is this little funky twist uh, with regard to healthcare workers. However, the Fifth Circuit mm. has issued uh, a decision fence for medical freedom. Yeah, and uh, basically he uh, said what uh, they didn't quite rule whether or not we don't have a ruling on that yet, but they they definitely restrained it. Yeah. And they oh they denied a motion to dismiss it as moot, which is what happened in all these vaccine cases that when the emergency ended in May, I think it was, mm-hmm. all these government agencies went to moot all the cases. And I got slapped with like four or five moot mootness motions, yeah. And I'm a small, you know, small firm. I don't have a big staff. I, I was like mm-hmm. I was busy, and uh, I, I, I'm still standing.
0: Wow. I,
2: yeah. Well, actually, this case in the Supreme Court, that one was denied on mootness mm-hmm. ground, but I'm glad it was because now I get to ask my question to the Supreme Court. Yeah. I have feds for medical freedom saying the Fifth Circuit saying, no, this this is not moot. It's in fact ripe. Second Circuit saying, no, it's moot. And that gives me an opportunity to go to the Supreme Court because you have two circuits saying different things. So okay. Well,
1: I'm glad that you hang in there and all these other attorneys are hanging in there and refusing to have yes. their cases be mooted um because we can't let this happen again. And what they did was illegal. Whether just because they stopped doing it doesn't mean in the past they didn't break the law, and and that needs to be slapped down. But what what you're talking about here is COVID only. Now before COVID, um, uh, medical professionals were often by their um, clinic or hospital required to get the flu shot, or they'd be fired. Um, and uh, and sometimes they would do the other shots, some of the other shots as well. So is it possible that this arg- this argument that has been developed um, brilliantly about COVID could now eventually be applied to all other mandates? Because like I'm thinking about all the states require for school a TDAP or a DTAP, several, like there's six on the schedule, the tetanus diphtheria and pertussis. But we know that the pertussis um, portion of that shot and probably the diphtheria as well, doesn't prevent infection or transmission. Um, And outbreaks are happening in the fully vaccinated, newborns are catching it from their fully vaccinated siblings. And so to mandate such such a shot, it doesn't rise to what you're talking about, where the state doesn't have um, evidence that it's the least. What was that? Where did you call that? Uh,
2: the least restrictive. The least.
1: Right, and really, because you know, when pertussis goes around, they don't even exclude the non-vaccinated kids anymore because it's going around the vaccinated kids, right? So it it just seems like that should no longer be required because it doesn't meet, I'm not quite sure how it fits. But in fact, one um, pro-vax doctor, Dr. Edgar Marcuse, he's a contemporary of Plotkin and Fauci. He's out in Washington state. He still is an advisor to the Washington State Department of Health Vaccine Advisory Committee. He once wrote a paper, oh, I don't know, many years ago with other co-authors that was published in the Seattle Times and they examined the ethics of vaccine mandates. And they said the only disease and its corresponding vaccine that rises to the level of being ethical to mandate is the measles vaccine because none of the other infections for which there were at the time vaccines um, and um, none of those illnesses rose to that really dangerous level of a measles, which is less contagious even than, say, smallpox. Smallpox was highly contagious and highly lethal. Of course, they didn't know properly how to treat it. Right?
2: Hopefully, oh, we know that, how to treat it now. Do you, do you really? Do we really know? You know, no. like I, I wonder now. You know, was it the sanitation? Was it some kind of low tox-
1: vitamin? A, you know, was yeah. probably the diets at the time. Where even the,
2: the Spanish flu, you know, was, was that real?
1: Right. We, we Exactly. We really don't know. But, you know, you if something is highly contagious anyway, whether or not, you know, I, I'm i a pro-treatment, pro-natural immunity girl right now myself. But what I'm saying is he even then admitted that the only disease that was infectious and dangerous enough with a vaccine that actually worked well enough that the combination rose to the point where you could ethically mandate them on a population with exemptions in place, mind you, um, was the measles. None of the others rose to that standard. And yet somehow, no matter what vaccine comes along, there's no vaccine right now that our public health um, entities, the oversight agencies um, that they won't approve, license uh, recommend, and then the state's mandate. It's really absurd, um, you know, so the beauty of COVID is all of this is rising to the surface. So I'm really glad to hear that you have found a way, because um, Patty, again with Jacobson, there is some language in there you've quoted before where they foresaw how their decision could possibly be abused. Do you recall that portion of that? Can you Oh, yeah, yeah. That
2: yeah. They said it was uh, that, that, there was the possibility that future mandates could be a plain and palpable invasion of fundamental liberties, and mm-hmm. uh, and when those things occur, it is the duty of the courts to so adjudge. But what's happened is, Jacobson's gotten so twisted, and uh, even recently, uh, Justice well Justice Gorsuch repeatedly has discussed uh, in several uh, important decisions the towering authority of Jacobson applying every single mandate when it was a narrow uh, decision that applied to a single small box vaccine outbreak. So with regard to school, uh, school is a lot more difficult. So here, here's the, the strategy or the problem, anyway, with school. Uh, school license, uh, school vaccines, unlike COVID, are licensed by the FDA. COVID was and still remains an EUA li- uh, liability free drug. The licensed version, Komenardi, is a fiction, it doesn't even exist. And if it does exist, it's not being distributed in the United States. Mm-hmm. Because if you were to get a licensed vaccine, in theory, that isn't considered a countermeasure or covered under the vaccine injury program, mm-hmm. you could sue the bejesus out of the pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies. So they're only distributing EUA drugs.
1: Yeah. And and right now there is a case moving forward uh, about a young man who was in college, who is hesitant, as they say, to get a COVID shot. But when he heard that they were licensed. He felt, oh, that means they're safe. They've been licensed now. And he went and got a Pfizer shot and he ended up dying as a result of the injuries from that shot. So there is a lawsuit going forward on this whole matter of he was lied to, he was deceived intentionally, you know, with the language being put out there. It's an informed consent basis. I I, law, I mean, lawsuit, I think. I can't remember the details of it. But I, I just so... You know, Patty, before all this, before I met you and some of the other amazing attorneys in this movement, you know, I I made the attorney jokes like everybody else, although I've never had really, you know, actually I've never met a ruthless attorney personally. But I got to tell you, I just so admire um, you and so many other in this profession who have that ethics and the morals. And, you know, you really put your career on the line to stand in what you know to be true. And to defend people who often do not have money to hire you. I mean, bless your heart. You take them on. And, and if anybody wants to know, if you want to help out Patty Finn, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and share um, your website. Because you do take donations. Because you, you take it's people. Right,
2: all donations. Yeah. Every, everything we do is donations. And I, wow. do, I am general counsel to make Americans free again. matha.com. And you can uh, certainly donate there or you can mm-hmm. donate on my page. And uh, that picture you have up there is that beautiful little girl, Kaylin Madden. And I actually proved that Kaylin... Doesn't Kaylin look like me? That, that's... Scary. Oh, my
1: goodness, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I always thought that picture she looked like I did when I was a, a little girl. Mm. It's so shocking. I had a very... Uh, strange connection to this little little darling
1: yeah tell us her story
2: um well anyway uh she was one of six children from vermont and uh her mother took the kids to the doctors for their birthday you know like a lot of us did for that well visit aka vaccine shots and um uh, she got a flu shot. She had had six by, or five, by the age of six. There might have even been in utero flu. And uh, at the six-year shot, she uh, apparently was suffering from an asymptomatic influenza.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, so when she got the vaccine, it really souped up the immune response And it stressed her her heart, causing myocarditis, and she died of a heart attack. Oh And she was vaccinated on Friday. And over the weekend, it started with the bad headache, with the screaming. You know, that screaming? You talked about Tanya. Mm -hmm. I've heard that so many times that, you know, and the doctor's like, oh, it's normal. It is not normal. You know, your baby shouldn't be holding their head screaming. You know, it's just, it's not normal at all. So anyway, by Monday uh, morning, uh, she had, she was turning blue and her mother rushed her to the ER and she died. Mm -hmm. And uh, fortunately, the uh, uh, coroner or the Mm -hmm. medical examiner uh, indicated that it was uh, a hyperimmune reaction to the vaccine and uh, the case took 12 years I still have not been paid Mm -hmm. for the case the mother did get paid last year she got 350,000 for the death of her child Mm -hmm. she could have gotten more if she slipped in shop right or something so uh Wow, well, you know, it was it was pretty tragic. But but the the remarkable thing about that was that with all the uh, obstacles I was facing, and believe me, they were throwing them at me right and left. Man, I uh, I managed to win. I, it was it was yeah.
1: shocking. I'm yeah, well- that's thank you for your tenacity and you know for. Honoring this little girl, how precious. She's one of the angels now, I feel, fighting for us. We've got so many beautiful angels right now. we got Tony Bark. We've got this beautiful little girl. we got my mama. we got a lot of angels up in heaven that are looking down on us. So if you want to help support uh, the good health lawyer, Patricia Finn, in this case she's got going to the Supreme Court, that could be really huge uh, decision. Um, her website is patriciafinnattorney.com patriciafinnattorney.com, Finn attorneycom um, and there's a donate button right in the top right corner there so let's so here we are through uh, through the misinterpretation often of the Jacobson decision in 1905 misapplication of course Pharma um, absolutely giddy with the state of the world of you don't dare um, Criticize their products, getting immunity from the governments. I mean, you know, we're in this mess, and then COVID hit, and now people are waking up. So let's spend the you know the rest of our time here, talking about um, positive solutions and what we can do. Well, first, we find good attorneys who are taking on good cases, and we find individuals fighting, and what whatever we can do to support them. Sometimes it's money donations, right? Sometimes, Patty, it's like once in a while. And I mean, do you need a shout out for somebody who's a really good editor? Because sometimes you need somebody that will review something that you've just been drafting and rewriting and rewriting, and you might need an editor, you know?
2: Well, I, you know, I I felt terrible dragging you into it. Oh, I loved it. But uh, MAFA is uh, supporting my work. Oh, good. We've also sued EcoHealth.
1: Oh, EcoHealth I, Alliance. I, I, yes, wow. I will tell you
2: about that in a second. But okay. I, I do want to tell you about vaccines for school children. Yeah. And the solution. Um, I think that, first of all, there's only a few states like New York. You've got Maine, California, New York. I'm not even sure. I think DC pulled back on their mandate. But these states do not allow religious exemptions. But Justice Gorsuch and the Supreme Court uh, in South Bay, Pentecostal, a couple of others, Mm -hmm. they they have uh, recently issued opinions saying, look, if you're going to give a medical exemption, then you have to give a religious exemption. And right, if you yeah. give a religious exemption, you can't ask about the religion. Yeah, So that would certainly solve a big problem. And, and we're focusing on that for this September here in New York.
1: So Patty, how does that, I love this. Um, and it is, it was discriminatory. You're gonna let a kid in with a medical exemption but not with a religious exemption. That's discriminatory. If the medical kid is safe, so is the kid with the religious exemption. But how does this apply to adults? Because in many states, including Washington state, some employers, especially state employers, were making adults go through such a ridiculous litmus test of questions. And if you had so much as taken an aspirin in the past, they were saying that your religious um, conviction was not authentic and they weren't accepting. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, can that ruling that just happened in Missouri? um also uh, be utilized to apply to adults who are who are being forced who are being denied uh, their exemptions by their employers.
2: Adults actually have an easier time than the little ones and uh, I understand uh, the the experience that people have had you know being terrorized, losing their jobs. Um, I mean, I was in New York City during the vaccine passport. I had to go to the restroom. I had to drive like to Brooklyn to go to the bathroom. (laughs) I I, I couldn't go in anywhere. I I mean, New York City is so out of control right now. It's actually breaks my heart. It's dangerous. You know, it's like a lot of other places. But, you know, I had no passport, so I couldn't get inside anywhere. Um, But uh, parents, uh, people that have gone through these things, I I think for an adult in Washington, there's two things. You certainly have the normal challenges where you could go to a courtroom or ask the judge to review your religious uh, exemption and to make the determination de novo as to whether or not you hold religious beliefs contrary to vaccinating. That is what the court is supposed but,
1: to do. but but they shouldn't be able to, to judge. You should only have, like you said with the children. It I I'm opposed to this. You shouldn't have to explain yourself. Yes, that, that
2: that would be part two. Oh
1: okay. And I,
2: I think you know what one would be you just fight them on that but i think this second one would be a lawsuit where you clarify i don't have to explain yeah. my religious beliefs to you and i can tell you there's a lot of case law out of new york and uh, it wasn't me i didn't file these cases but I had quite a few of them have uh, indicated that you know you do, and and a lot of immigration cases, you do have to explain your religious belief. So, to what degree do you have to explain that? I I'm with you. I should I think I I don't have to tell you anything. I have a First Amendment right. Yeah. But the problem is Jacobson. What did Jacobson say? Jacobson said no. You don't have a First Amendment right. And uh, you have no right. So it's a a little sticky, but I think that's the direction we're going in. And hopefully the Supreme Court takes this case. I will be able to address uh, some of this broad, sweeping interpretation of Jacobson as Justice Gorsuch put it. We're fighting how to pronounce his name. Yeah. The German name is Gorsuch, but they're telling me it's Gor. I don't. I can't even say it.
1: Well, maybe if you get to meet him, you can ask him. How do yeah, you my you first first yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my
2: first Yeah.
1: Justice G. Yeah.
2: yeah, right, Justice G. Like the yeah. G unit. Yeah, yeah, like he's a thug or something. Yeah. but he is a thug. He's our Supreme Court thug because he's the only uh, fella. That stood up for us and uh, he's, you know, come out quite uh, critically.
1: You mean thug in its best sense I mean, of the thug. word? As it's a New Yorker, you're calling him I a good him. thug. Okay. I love
2: <laughs> Yeah. Jobber, is justice uh, thomas and i mean i you know i have all respect for all the judges even justice Sotomayor, who's my uh, bra from the bronx and uh, i i love her too you know she, she made
1: one stop. court decision that yes, i mean did. way back when with the brushevitz decision where sure with did. um sotomayor and ginsburg who said um, what? What was that? I used to have that memorized? It was uh, a, dissent. a
2: dissenting opinion in Brusvids, and uh, she said that state law toward liability applies to vaccine injuries. Yeah, and uh, the majority of the court said no, it doesn't. That mm-hmm. Congress intended for vaccine injuries under the program to be no fault and right. required compensation it was quite a, a good decision but she's been uh, pretty harsh on on all the rest of it so yeah
1: but yeah but well yeah she said guy. um she said that bercevich's decision created a regulatory it was the dissent created a regulatory vacuum but it might have been ginsburg who wrote it a regulatory vacuum in which nobody is responsible to ensure these products are safe and and listed not the fda not the cdc not the a nih and this is a huge problem we've got a regulatory vacuum and that was in 2011 and this is where we are let me um see kind of um hear how we're doing on time because we're getting down to like the last six minutes here and i would i well there's so much good information patty got to come on again because i i I, there's so many little areas that i didn't know we hadn't explored and i want to explore more but but let's kind of spend a little bit of time on on back to family court so um I you know what I, I the, the only two things we've come up with solutions so far to leave on a happy note is one um, before you ever say I do get something in writing that you will agree upon this vaccine decision so it doesn't cannot become a weapon should you ever part. And if you love each other enough and you really believe in what you believe or whatever your vaccine stance is, you'll probably agree to do that. So I would hope of course it goes my way, but you know, I'm not the one in that marriage. Anyway, and then you also said, barring that you've got nothing there that because vaccines are such a club and it's usually 99.99% of the time the court, favors the vaccinating parent do whatever you can to negotiate with your former spouse if you can possibly do that to take that club away figure out some way and of course like in Tanya's situation and so many other women's situation you just don't have a former partner who is willing to negotiate it's like they it's like once they get a hold of this weapon it feels so good to have that
0: power cuz they know it's almost like it, it, brings the, it brings the parent who is the protective, the advocating parent. It just brings them to their near, knees in which you're saying, please don't harm our child. Yeah. Now, I will say, even if you can get the best negotiated outcome in the beginning, you know, for example, let's say, as long as you promise not to, you know, if you agree to not vaccinate, I'll never take a dime of child support. Or mm-hmm. if, if, you know, you can have five, five, five weeks of vacation every summer, we can agree to that and not vaccinate. But here's what happens. You can have that agreement. They can still petition to modify. They can still petition to use the dispute resolution process and all bets are off.
2: Mm -hmm. I agree. It's a terrible situation. And, you know, family court is they smear you all over the place and Mm -hmm. uh, scare you and your child is at risk. It's a It's like a a drag. I I mean, I don't know what to say. I know that the only thing to do with someone in your position was uh, to try to negotiate out of it. But if you have somebody that's against you, I've had only one case where the court sided with the parent. And in that case, I'll tell you quickly, the mother was adopting from China she didn't, it wasn't a parent, it was the state. The state had assumed custody of the child for an interim period in the adoption. I I don't, it was like in regularity or something. And um, so she, uh, the judge, uh, they wanted to vaccinate the baby and the judge said no. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the only time that a family court judge agreed.
0: Wow. They, People, people miss that. The last statistic that I heard from a financial perspective, because again, I, I have time. I can't really read much because of my vision damage, but I listen a lot to podcasters and, and, and audio to try and understand how such a system can take such ownership of one's life. I mean, the chi- my body made this child. Why, why am I not a part of the decision here? So but what? one of the most interesting facts I learned was that the family court system is a for-profit model at $57 billion annually. It's um, an awful lot of money that mm-hmm. are being made off of children. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that fit into a trafficking model to some degree? I mean, it, it really has got a lot of questions. To, I got a lot of questions. You know right. what,
2: though, the problem is nobody's going to listen to you. You're going to get, you know, I mean, I'll tell you, just last two months ago, I was in the uh, second circuit, and the, the judges were smirking. Uh the woman that was with me in the paralegal she they were i mean rude they this is the highest court in the state next to the supreme Court and i I mean smirking, rolling their eyes and i you know I was making the best arguments of my life, and ten years ago, I would have been devastated, but this time, I knew I was right. And you're right too. So mm-hmm. just keep fighting, and God will provide.
0: Uh, you know, I tell myself on a daily basis, they, it, what, God, the universe, whoever, who, whatever one believes in, that is the reason my son is still with us. I firmly mm-hmm. believe he's. When this occurred to us, uh, so many prayer warriors put us in their prayer circles, and. Vigils and chants and meditations and, mm-hmm. and positive vibes. I mean, I, I, I don't discriminate amongst religious references by any means. And, but it's true. that That's why. That's why he is still with us and why he is able to, hopefully, his body will continue to keep adapting and, and purging uh, as best his body can.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, our prayers are with you, Tanya, and and with you also Patty, the good health lawyer. We're down to Great like the job, last Patty. minute.
0: Great work. I'm over here like
1: cheering. Yeah, she is. She's really quite amazing what she's accomplished in her little office. She's just quite the tiger. But you know, this is what it takes. Um it was a little scary first couple of years but of of COVID, but I think that Americans are figuring out how to be Americans. Lawyers like you, Patty, are figuring out really how to get her done. Um, All over the country, great decisions are beginning finally to emerge. People are waking up. Our side is only growing and it will continue to grow. So keep the faith, keep the prayers, keep the love, uh, keep working, never give up, and um, keep listening to an Informed Life Radio. (laughs) Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.
2: Hi, I'm Brian Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PJI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PJI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit PJI.com. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic from COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs. The high wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions.